Now, if you were to ask someone who uh, doesn't go to church, doesn't have any interest in uh, Jesus Christ, and ask them the reason for that, many of them, unfortunately, would often say, Christians. Why? Because they're judgmental. They're hypocritical. And maybe you've had these conversations. Maybe you're here today because you are one of those people and you just happen to give church a chance. Or maybe you got drugged to church by a family member. You decided, whatever, I'll put my time in. This makes my mom happy. I'm here. All right. You need to know that we're all in the same starting point and you're in good company because Jesus actually agrees with you. <laughs> That's a good thing. It's always good to be in agreement with Jesus. You're not far off. When you said the problem that you have with your experience, uh, it's unfortunate but Jesus would agree with you. Oftentimes, Christ's followers can be judgmental and hypocritical. So as we enter into uh, this conversation today, it's important for us to know that we're all on the same page because I believe that we all have a scene problem in the sense that uh, I hope that we're bothered by the way in which we sometimes instinctively see other people, the way in which we instinctively judge the world around us. And if we're not bothered by that, I, I think that we should be bothered by the fact that we're not bothered by it. Because again, Jesus is very clear on the way in which we should live, the way in which we should love. And it begins with properly seeing ourselves. Who are we in light of Jesus? Who are we to think that we could ever arrive when it comes to religion or living the right way? So Jesus is very clear in Luke chapter 18. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He goes on, he says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, right? A self-righteous, religious person believed that he is uh, behaving the right way, therefore is more accepted by God. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector, right? So the culture at large, he looked at him as kind of an outcast. He's so far from getting it right from the Pharisee's mindset. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector, right? The worst of the worst. He says, I fast twice a week and give you a tenth of my income. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. Jesus goes on. He says, I tell you, this sinner not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. Justified means to be made right with God, justified before God. Jesus, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Notice the proper order of things. We must humble ourselves to achieve actual greatness found in dependency on God. We can't arrive, we can't get there on our own. Lest we think our behavior makes us worthy of acceptance of God, it doesn't. This is the picture Jesus is painting. So I came today to address the fact that I think we all have a pretentiousness problem because all of us are inclined toward this posture. And there's a word that describes the way in which we tend to look down on other people based on what we see, based on our own self-righteous actions, and that word is judgmentalism. Judgmentalism. Now, is it really that big of a deal to be a judgmental person? I mean, isn't everybody kind of judgmental, right? We can have strong opinions and voice them. It's, it's not that big a deal, right? That's just what we, we call them. Jerry Bridges, an author, portrays the potential problem this way. The seriousness of the sin of judgmentalism is not so much that I judge my brother as that in doing so, I assume the role of God. 
Matthew chapter 7, we're going to look at the first five verses and uh, start out with the first two. And uh, when you read these and when you hear these, you're like, okay, I'm listening now. That sounds like something I need to fully understand. So I took a deep dive into these five verses in preparation for this, this message because it is a big deal and a, a necessary context um, you know, is provided for us to have proper understanding of what it looks like, what God calls a significant life. So Matthew 7, this is Jesus' sermon, part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He simply says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Like, wait, heads up. He goes on. It says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I think we're paying attention now. If you're reading your Bible, you're like, okay, wait a second. What does that actually mean? Now, when we die and we come face to face with God, there will be an eternal judgment. This isn't referring to that first judgment where Jesus separates those who have chosen life in Christ versus those who have rejected looking at Christ and giving their life to him as savior of their life. This is the follow-up judgment, judgment of rewards. We don't know exactly specifically how this plays out. But scripture, Jesus himself is very clear on the primary criteria in which we will be judged will be the measurement based on how we judged others. That's a scary reality if you ask me. So we better be paying attention. Would any of us, think about this, would any of us be confident enough to stand before God and say, judge me as I have judged others? Probably not. So the first reason not to judge, we're gonna look at two reasons today. The first is this, our judging determines the standard we will be judged by. That's the reality we see in Scripture. Jesus himself said it. So we better clarify what exactly is judging. At what point am I becoming a judgmental person? This is what we can become soft, casual, passive about because it's culturally acceptable, you know, just to, to be judgmental. We just call it strong opinions and, and demean people and, and condemn people and go on our way as if it's no big deal. It's a big deal. So the Greek word for judge in Matthew, the book of Matthew, the New Testament, it's written in Greek. The Greek word for judge means to condemn or to call into question so this skeptical criticism that is meant is, is aimed to condemn another person. It's where we get the, the English word critic. So to judge someone is to essentially kind of try them in the courtroom of your own conscience. So it didn't even involve an interaction. It's the instinctive thought that you have, the way in which you make conclusions about them. So it's choosing to condemn, conclusively condemn another person without having all of the information, right? Jumping to conclusions and, and, and deciding exactly what you think about a person based on their beliefs or based on their, their actions. But there's deeper roots to this. At the root of the problem of judging is that you have a critical spirit. And this can become habitual. That's why we become so casual or passive about it. We don't even realize how critical our spirit is becoming. Now, when we have these kinds of conversations, immediately, you know, like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I immediately thought of somebody I need to tell, you need to listen to this message, right? I, I wish this person was with me, right? This is that point, right? We're already kind of veering off track, right? Sending at church now. But uh, it's easy, right? We know people like, oh yeah, I got this. This is where we take an inward look, right? We don't nudge our neighbor. If it's the person next to you, like, oh man, glad they came with me today. They need to hear this. All of us have room to grow in this area because we all have a propensity to judge another person without even fully realizing that we're being critical. So a critical spirit is this. It's a negative attitude of the heart that seeks to condemn, tear down, and destroy with words, which sounds terrible, Right? Even though we have this inward propensity to, to be critical, when you say it like that, like, I don't want to be like that kind of person. I don't want anybody to describe me that way. But a critical spirit, the reality is, is, is kind of a fault finder. They're looking for flaws in other people. They even hope to find fault 
wherever they go. They kind of look unfavorably at everything, always looking at what's wrong instead of what could be right. Some people, some critical spirits, just wait for someone to mess up and they just kind of pounce on them. Like I told you so, I knew you were that kind of person. I knew you weren't trustworthy. I knew you would end up doing that. Now, can you imagine, right? Think about that's what it means to have a critical spirit. Now, can you imagine setting that as the standard by which we will one day be judged by God, where he shows up, and that's the measurement he uses? That's a big uh uh-oh. I better be checking myself and my my posture in life. So Jesus is saying, do not judge. This is a very direct command because it's of utmost seriousness. Why? And this is the, the, the simplistic nature of a significant life that God has in mind. What is at stake is living the kind of life that is most honoring to God. Succeeding at living a significant life according to the way God defines it, to love him and to love other people, depends on how we choose to see other people. And this is what we have to check ourselves before we automatically find ourselves naturally judging, instinctively judging the people around us. So to judge is to think, of another, to think about another person in a way that is contrary to love. It's literally going in the opposite direction that God calls us to. Because to judge is to be overly critical in an unhelpful way. Nothing about our judgmental, critical spirit is actually helping anyone. It's obviously hurting other people, and it's even hurting our own souls. So I wanted to continue, and I, and, you know, I mentioned that uh, you know, I step on my toes all the way, and so I want to get as specific as possible. Uh, so we can just take like, a, an assessment of our, ourselves. Like, how are we doing, really, and the way that we truly see other people? So I wanted to spend some time with a short judgment assessment, so to speak, signs that you might be judgmental. First one is this. You believe that everyone is out to get you. You believe everyone's out to get you. You're, you're instinctively skeptical, right? You're, you don't trust anybody. You, 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 you immediately write everybody off, questioning their motives. You're suspicious. You're untrusting. And you're just kind of led to assume that everyone's just as judgmental as you are. <laughs> I'm judgmental. They're judgmental, right? Nobody should trust anybody. That's kind of your, your bent. Number two, you struggle to see beyond a person's flaws. So you often fail to see the beauty of the uniqueness in every single individual you immediately only see what's wrong with someone. Number three, you usually jump to conclusions about someone based on surface level first impression. You have no interest in gathering all the facts. You've, saw all the, you've seen all that you need to see to decide what kind of person they are, and so you can be inclined to write them off way too soon. Number four, you're intolerant of people unlike you. You equate different with wrong. Well, they don't believe like me, uh, act like me. I, I, just, I just, I don't understand. They're, you know, weird is, is different. Weird is any, anybody that's not like me, like as opposed to understanding we're all weird, basically, right? It's like, okay, you're just different, so it's an immediate judgment. Number five, you're generally pessimistic about life. And so really, it's beyond even people. You just only see what is wrong. Everywhere you go, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's bad, that's bad. That can be habitual over time. Number six, you tend to believe people are either good or bad. Now, can you imagine if we went around the room here at Burlington and then at Union and uh, you had conversations with the people around you and all you shared was like your highlight reel, right? And somebody said, describe yourself. And you shared kind of the best moments of your life. Naturally, people would conclude, you're a, you, wow, you're a good person. You did that. You did this. You achieved a lot. Wow, you're a really nice person. On the flip side, if you shared in a group setting your deepest, darkest moment of sin, whatever it might be, naturally somebody would go, whoa, number one, I can't believe you shared that. Number two, you're a really bad person. I don't know if you know, you're a bad person. (laughs) The reality is all of us have all of those moments that make up a very complex uh, person. (laughs) And so we're all good. We're all bad, right? 
we all are capable of being good people. We all have a propensity towards sin, and so the makeup of a person is, is quite complex. So oftentimes we, we just want to put somebody in a box, right? Okay, you're, you're that kind of person based on what I've seen, um, and you have no interest in, in, in hearing any more about them. Number seven, you have a strong inner critic, a strong inner critic who judges yourself, which results in low self-worth. So this is where we really get to that next layer. Why does someone criticize? Well, it's coming from somewhere deep within. Maybe there's a history there that has caused you a certain sense of bitterness that has led to behaviors like being perfectionistic, having an unrealistic standard of performance for yourself and naturally for other people. So the outcome is you're just going to expect perfect consistency in others. There's no grace. There's no room for grace in any interaction or relationship. So ultimately, the reason why we judge is because we believe instinctively, we don't say this out loud, but we instinctively believe people should act how we act and believe what we believe. If only everybody would act like I acted and believe what I believe, then everybody, there'd just be peace, everybody get along. That's not the case. We're not fully in tune with what Jesus was getting at. We're not humbling ourselves and realize how, how, how much darkness is within us, how we're wanting to constantly drift and stray from God's best. So we judge, we look down on people and devalue them, those that we don't agree with and those that we don't understand. Right? You see this all the time playing out, uh, the worst of humanity on social media. Right? If you're not on social media, uh, make it a, a March resolution, whatever today is, uh, that you'll never get on social media. Right? There's virtually no benefit to your soul uh, because what you're going to, that's dramatic, right? I'm on social media. I'm exaggerating that. But when you, if you get on there, like, you know, because social media has been around for a long time, and if you were to get on there for the very first time, you know, Facebook and Twitter, you'd be like, wow, everybody hates everybody. Nobody agrees. Like, this is the darkest part of the world right here because there's, social media presents this kind of safe buffer, apparently, where people, can, it's just a free-for-all. They, they say whatever they want to say. They demean, they condemn, they judge to say the least because they don't actually know that person as if these people aren't actual people with actual feelings, with actual souls. And so you see the worst of people, like it comes out on social media. So that's not meant to be a persuasive speech. That's just the reality that we live in. And oftentimes the reason why is people just jump on those that have different opinions, uh, different beliefs, or just are so far from you know, where that person is in their own uh, worldview. And it comes out pretty ugly. Stephen Covey, uh, an author, uh, several years ago, talked about an experience he had on a New York subway train. He said he got on the subway train, pretty peaceful environment, but uh, a, a few mo stops later, a dad stepped onto the train with his kids, and his kids were just totally out of control. And uh, Stephen Covey describes this experience uh, this way. He says, it was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that this dad could be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it taking no responsibility at all. So finally, with what felt like unus was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to this dad and said, sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little bit more. Covey said the man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. He said, I don't know what to do, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. And here's Stephen Covey's words, an essential perspective we all need to have. He said, can you imagine what I felt at that moment? Suddenly, I saw things differently. And because I saw differently, I thought differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. 
My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. Here it is. My heart was filled with the man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Everything changed in an instant. Man, how many opportunities do we miss because we simply don't take the time to find out more about what a person is actually going through? See, empathy, the, having the opportunity to feel another person's pain is sim- simply begins with the decision, the discipline to decide to care. And he asked a question, Covey did in that moment, that he had no idea that that would be the kind of response. But in that moment, as soon as he got more information, he realized how wrong he was. And his, his heart was instinctively open and cared. We have it within us. God has created us with the in, innate, instinctive capacity to enter into another person's life and to care for them. And all of us have examples of times where we have judged another, but then we got some more information. We immediately felt guilty. Like, wow, who was I to assume so much when I had no idea what that person was actually going through? See, before I choose to judge, here's the question to ask. First question to ask yourself when prone to judge. Before I choose to judge, do I have all of the information? Could there be some more information before I conclude that something is or someone is a certain way? See, judgmentalism begins when we equate our opinions with truth. When we equate our opinions with truth. So here's the second reason not to judge. Second reason is this. We are incapable of judging. (laughs) Maybe it could have just been a one-point message. We're incapable of judging. That's it. And here's, here's why. Jesus goes on, same, same scripture. We already read the first two verses, Matthew 7. Here's verses 3 through 5. Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? He says, How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Here it is. He says, You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Notice the proper order of things we got some planks going on, and those planks aren't going anywhere anytime soon, which, practically speaking, we shouldn't have the time or the margin to ever get around to judge another person because we got ourselves to deal with. That's what Jesus is getting at. And he's being sarcastic. He's being comical and exaggerating the point right? because these people are getting it wrong, and we get it wrong. He's comparing a speck and a plank, two things that are dramatically different in size, yet what he's communicating, don't miss this, is that the sin of judgmentalism is worse than the sin that you're judging. That's a scary reality, isn't it? All of us, if we're in tune with ourselves, how easy it is to judge another. He's saying, hold on, get proper perspective here. That attitude, that cynical attitude that you're skeptical and you're concluding something negative about a person, you're condemning them with your mind or with your actions, whatever it is that they're doing, what you're doing is worse. This is how serious it is. And Jesus is saying that if you're really concerned about the truth, you'd be spending time judging yourself. Now, let's let's practically think about this, because I think we can all relate. Let's say your plank, so to speak, we all have that plank in our own eye. Let's say it was just a speck. You'd still have a problem, wouldn't you? You ever had something in your eye, like a piece of dust or dirt or an eyelash? Like, you don't don't just say, wow, that's kind of a bummer, and then go on with your day. Like, it's kind of debilitating. You 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 have to do something about it. You don't just walk around interacting with people, and they ask you why you're crying. Like, oh, no, it's no big deal. I'm good. They can't even see it, but you know that it's literally debilitating. So you take time to get saline solution or wash your eye out. You have to, you literally have to do something about it if you're going to be productive, effective, and going about the the rest of your day, even though no one else might notice. This, This is the significance of a heart issue, isn't it? And then the best way, understanding that the best way to sincerely help another is to first spend the time taking the plank out of your own eye. This is why we gather every single week 
It's a refining process. We open up God's word. God, do a work in, in me, creating me a clean heart. Okay, that's not a, that's not a fun process. That's why we, we encourage people to get connected to small groups, ask the hard questions, have challenging, accountable relationships where, where we constantly wake each other up to the reality of what God's best is for our lives. That's why we spend time in, in personal prayer with God and, and opening up his word, like, all right, God, do a work in me. It's not this uh, you know, sensitive, quiet time where you know, it's, it's sentimental and emotional, and God does lift our spirits, but man, that's, we're asking him to do some hard work, wanting to grow and to grow is to be transformed, to be refined. That's a difficult process. Now, here's another layer to consider, right? We're going to keep going after that rude issue. Here's another layer to consider. Ask yourself in that moment why you are so bothered by what you are inclined to judge. And all of us have different areas that we have more of a propensity to judge something or someone. Pay attention to why is it that you emotionally escalate instinctively. Here's why. The word speck and plank are from the same original word which means they're of the same substance. In other words, Jesus was saying, the reason why some people are so adept at finding fault in the lives of others is because they're so familiar with it themselves. Author Kent Hughes puts it this way. We find it so easy to turn a microscope on another person's sin, but we look at ours through the wrong end of the telescope. We easily spot a speck of phoniness in another because we have a logjam of it in our own lives. Wrath toward the speck in someone else's life may come from the suppressed guilt over the same massive sin in our own lives. Hello. That sends all of us to counseling immediately, right? <laughs> all of us could go to counseling for something because we are unaware of all areas of our lives. I mean, we get this practically. Those, for example, those who are the most sensitive typically to criticism are those who are most critical of others. We've all heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Like, why? Why is that person so mean? Why are they so critical? Well, there's a history there. There's certain layers that have led them to normalize that behavior that's born out of a experiencing criticism themselves. The reason why we can even recognize hypocrisy in other people is because we have a certain level of hypocrisy in our own hearts as well. Oswald Chambers, one of my favorite authors, he just puts one line out there. I'm like, okay, hello, here's, here's where my work starts. He says, I have never met the man I could despair of after discerning what lies in me apart from the grace of God. Who are any of us? <laughs> How do we get anywhere of significance in life without the very grace of God? So who are we to ever withhold grace from another if we're fully in tune with how much grace we've personally been shown? Now, practically speaking, there's a couple questions worth asking. Number one, is it ever okay uh, to criticize? Is it ever okay to judge? Well, you have to know it depends on the who. And scripture is very clear on this. Number one, we should never judge those who are not Christ's followers, which is interesting to think about. There's kind of a separation to our, our judgment. 1 Corinthians 5 is your personal study if you want to take some more time. It's very interesting. But we should never judge those who are not Christ's followers. Here's why. Why would we ever expect non-Christians to live like Christ's followers? Why do we find ourselves so upset by what we see on TV or what we see in other people? People who have no interest in aiming their life toward Christ, giving their life toward Christ, why would we expect certain behavior to happen that is Christ-like? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And if you think about it practically, those people are actually acting more according to their value system than you are when you're judging them. That's actually a consistent life. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't care about the ways of Jesus. And so that's not going to be reflected. And here we are. We say, I've given my life to Jesus. I want to reflect his love, but I'm also judgmental. They're actually more successful at a consistent life, if you know what I'm saying. So why would we hold non-Christians to a Christian standard? Now, with, with other Christ followers, the aim is always constructive criticism. I did an interesting word study on, that, on, on the word criticism and actually has a positive connotation, which is very interesting. 
So we immediately think criticism is a negative thing, but the essence of uh, criticism is meant to build another up, to actually be helpful. <laughs> it's speaking the truth in love, which we also see in Scripture. So the measurement for whether or not your criticism is actually constructive is whether or not your aim is to build up. Am I actually being helpful in my mentality, my view of this person, right? Am I going to get to a place where it's, it's helpful, especially when I speak into their life? Now, the issue here isn't that we are to ignore other people's faults. I just, you know, turn a blind eye, like, okay, live their life and never bring, never, never bring those issues up. The issue is ultimately in ourselves. It's pride. That's what's at stake here. It's viewing oneself as better than others. You know, it's a pretentiousness problem. It leads to judging another from our ivory tower. We're pharisaical. We're, we're living like Pharisees, self-righteous, believing that we're living right and everybody else is wrong. So we have the mentality, if only everyone believed and acted like me. Everyone would just get along. Everything would fall in line. So pay attention to your instincts to draw conclusions about other people. It reveals something deep within you. Now, over 10 years ago, there was something very interesting that happened on a, on a talent show. Many of you know the story. Many of you have seen the clip. Maybe you even saw it live. Uh, a woman by the name of Susan Boyle. She was 47 years old at the time. She comes out on stage, and I'm going to show you a short clip here in a second. And uh, she does not uh, look like the kind of person, right, according to the people's reactions in that moment, the kind of person that uh, should be successful or should be the winner of that kind of competition. And so when you watch this clip, I want you to pay attention to the faces that reflect that belief, because this is what judgment looks like. And then think about what would you do in that moment? And many of us have watched these kind of shows, and we instinctively draw certain kind of conclusions. We decide before somebody uh, even uh, opens up about who they are or decides to perform in a certain way, we paint them in a certain light. So check out the people's uh, faces in this clip here. So it's a pretty inspiring moment, right? We're all kind of instinctively pulling for it. And so what is it, mere seconds that she walks out and people already draw their conclusions of what kind of person she is. And so if you notice when, when she was responding to Simon Cowell, she said, I've never been given the chance before. Let's think about this. There's, there's two specific issues to evaluate. Number one, here you have a 47-year-old woman who apparently is shocked at the response. How sad is it that someone is shocked that they have significant value, significant talent, 47 years before they fully found out? Because at the end of this, if you were to watch it all the way through, and you should, uh, she just, she, as soon as she finishes, she walks off the stage. <laughs> they have to call her back. She's like, okay, well, because she had spent all of her life just kind of naturally being written off. And they had to tell her, well, this is a big deal. And people were standing and clapping. And uh, even before, right, I love, this is a good commentary on humanity. If you're really paying close attention, you, kind of, you don't hear a whole lot of clapping, but you hear some clapping, right? There's people that are instinctively cheering her on, hoping for the best. Like, that's who we're supposed to be as the church. So number one, we get it wrong all the time, allowing people to live their lives and no one's speaking into their life at the level of significance they had. Here's the other issue that's at stake, though, because we can watch that and we can cheer and be inspired and be happy for her. But the question really comes down to, what if Susan Boyle gets up there and she sings terribly? Isn't that the true test? How do you respond to the person who's right in front of you who doesn't even have the capability to perform their way into acceptance, approval? This is the kind of world that we live in. And we as Christ's followers, the church should be on the front lines of loving someone as they are, where they are, never putting them in a position where they have to perform their way into significance. We're the ones who need to normalize that kind of behavior because we are no one without a Christ, a God who first came after us and met us exactly where we were. When you think about the person of Jesus, he was approachable, he was likable by a lot of people. Why? Because he liked people who weren't like him. He chose to like people who weren't like him. 
So we don't write anyone off because we believe everyone has value. Everyone has value because everyone was made in the image of God. You are already significant because God said so. So the question becomes, will we choose to stand and cheer before someone has to prove their worth? <laughs> People should, have been, should be in a position where they're naturally just cheered on because we're pulling for them. We want them to succeed. We have no desire to tear them down, to break them down. It's not born out of a, uh, a core of insecurity in our own lives, try to compare our lives to them. We want everybody to win because we have a story of being lost and now found, dead, now alive. We have already won because Christ did this. This is what we see in Scripture, Romans 5, 8. While, notice the, notice the, the presence, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is, it says how, this is how God demonstrated his love. He didn't say, get your act together, and then we'll hang out. Get your act together, and then Jesus will go to the cross because you've, you've put yourself in a, a position of worth and value. You can't earn it. While we were in our darkest moment, Christ died for us. He said you were worth it. So don't let, maybe we as a church, not let anyone wait any longer than they have to, to be surprised by the value they bring to the world and the fact that they're loved. More specifically, they are already loved. <laughs> as they are where they are. That's what a privilege. We get to surprise people in the best way possible. So you have worth, you have value right now as you are. Let's pray. God, as we consider people that we don't know and people that we do know that are right outside the doors of the church that we will interact with today, and those maybe even in our homes, those that we've known for a long time, maybe we've written off. God, I pray that we'll show up to the grace fully realize the grace that has been shown to us. So out of the overflow of the gratitude for the grace that we've begun to realize, uh, maybe more than ever before, we pass that grace on so that people can see how great you really are. There really is a God that loves us as we are. May we reflect that well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.